Outdoor Edge introduces the all-new Razor Guide Pack. Coming in at 12 ounces and in a premium wax canvas roll pack for compact storage and travel, the Razor Guide Pack is seven blades in total, including a 5-inch replaceable blade folding knife, a 3-inch replaceable blade caping knife, and the flip and zip saw for wood or bone. Whether you're hunting the back 40 or chasing game deep in the backcountry, the Razor Guide Pack has it all. For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Uh, today we are, let's see, what is today? September 8th, and uh, we, we kind of, Paul's not with us, just Andrew, and our, our guest is Mike Tonkovich from uh, Ohio Department of Natural Resources, ODW. I always get it wrong, Mike, but, or Mark. <laughs> you got it. Wow. We were just having a, a off-the-air conversation. I think I got a little bit wound up there, but more importantly, I want to talk to Mike today about what's happening across the state of Ohio with the EHD and the deer population. If you listened to us last week or saw some of the stuff from, um, it's been in the news. We've seen it uh, from some of the news releases from ODNR that we've got a disease going through. Um, It's not anything new, um, I don't think, but it is affecting 13 or 16 counties last time I checked um, the deer herd throughout there. And anywho, we want to get questions answered from the expert himself uh, before uh, we got into really get into deer season this, this weekend coming up. So Mike, how are you today? Good, good, Andrew. It's, 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 it's great to be here. Even if we're talking about um, uh, another one of those uh, deer diseases, this time, of course, hemorrhagic disease and, and not CWD. We spent enough time on that, but uh, it might be helpful. Um, I, I hope you don't mind if I right out of the shoot, um, we let folks know that the deer dying uh, across the state are not dying from chronic wasting disease, but in fact, um, hemorrhagic disease. I think there's been some confusion. There's been a lot of questions, out of, mostly out of Southwest Ohio. Um, you know, social media has a way of... Um, um, spreading um, uh, sometimes unintentionally, many times unintentionally, but but getting information wrong and then it spreads like wildfire. But but just want folks to know that we're not dealing with chronic wasting disease, and and for heaven's sakes, um, we're not dealing with zombie deer. Um, I didn't even want to say that. I'm thankful that you didn't mention that. I shouldn't have brought it up. But um, uh, it's not zombie deer disease. Certainly not chronic wasting disease. But 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 something that. Uh, Andrew, we, we are familiar with, we have been uh, for a number of decades here in Ohio, of course, hemorrhagic disease has been around, uh, first described in 1955, I believe, in New Jersey. Um, and it's, uh, I learned, I learned yesterday, um, I didn't, I did not realize this, but my colleague from Indiana, um, they're experiencing a pretty significant mortality event in Franklin County, which is right on our Butler Preble County line. So their southeast corner of the state is 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 rocking and rolling as well. And it, it historically, um, it, it's it's been a, a popular place for it. But anyway, Joe Caudell, the uh, Dr. Joe Caudell, the Deer Program Administrator there, um, mentioned that um, uh, back in 1970, um, a study was done and they looked at. Um, uh, 20% of the deer they look at looked at had antibodies to uh, uh, to hemorrhagic disease, one of the serotypes. So in other words, it's been around a while, um, and deer were exposed to it back then and survived it. And I think that's one of the questions that you know, I'm sure you would have got to eventually is, you know, how many deer 
are getting through this. It certainly seems like uh, there are a good number of beer dying. And, and by all means, there are a number of beer dying. This is a pretty significant year for us. Um, not even sure where to start. I could probably keep going without taking a breath, but I, I know you've probably got some specific questions and we can, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you lead that. Well, let's, let's just start from the beginning. All right. So what does the E, the H and the D stand for? I'm not going to butcher it. So I'm sure you can actually say it the right. Yeah, way. it's easy. It's, it's, it's epizootic EPI, uh, epizootic hemorrhagic, uh, like in bleeding hemorrhaging uh, disease. So epizootic hemorrhagic disease. And Andrew, we oftentimes, you'll, you'll hear us call it EHD or just HD, uh, sometimes hemorrhagic disease. There are a couple closely, very closely related viruses, uh, EHD virus, and then the blue tongue virus. Um, they're very, very similar, uh, very, very closely related. Um, and, and so it, we've kind of, um, uh, good, bad, or otherwise, we've, we've simplified things a bit by simply calling it EHD or HD. Um, so, so that's what we're dealing with, hemorrhagic disease or epizootic hemorrhagic disease. I think everybody knows if you use either one of those, um, we know what you're talking about. Wonderful. I mean, not wonderful, but thank you for uh, clarifying yeah. that. So, and this is a disease. This is um, unlike Unlike chronic wasting disease, this is a quick hitter, right? This isn't something that is a a long play. It's something that when the deer is infected, they can have symptoms in what, two to three days? Yeah, they can begin to show clinical signs of illness in in three to five days. Um, And then then after that, they may be dead um, in as few as 30, you know, as little as 36 hours. So it's, it's a pretty quick disease. But yeah. Great question, because there actually are three three forms of it. Uh, acute, which is what most of our deer are experiencing, where they get it, they get uh, in a few days, they're showing signs, and in a few days later, they're dead. Uh, paracute, um, just, a, just a drawn out a version, you know, longer, slower. And then chronic would be uh, the situation that most of the deer in the southeast, as in southeast United States, go through every year. They'll sur- sur- survive the disease just fine, may show some signs of um, of, of that a disease uh, like scarring in the rumen may have some ulcers in their mouths may have you know may have some other signs um interrupted hoof growth things like that so various forms but because because our deer are challenged um uh, for most deer they're 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 um, challenged infrequently and many of them they're seeing this disease for the first time so they have no immunity um much like you know you traveling to a um a, a a new country or, or even a heck, even a conference in the middle of winter time, you know, you're, you're bound to pick up a cold and it's, it's obviously not going to kill you because you've been exposed to that, you know, that influenza before that type of thing. But these deer have no immunity. Um, largely, you know, as I said, because the disease hasn't been around long enough, they haven't been challenged enough with the disease. Most of them are naive. And, and of course, the other thing that is probably working against them, many of these deer um, are not, you know, they're, we know the average age of harvested deer is less than two years. So we, you know, we're tur- in a hunted population, at least you're turning deer over before they have a chance to see the virus more than once. Um, if that makes sense. So, so it's a, it, it tends to be, as you put it, a heavy hitter um, when it hits and, and it's surely uh, that's what we're seeing now. I think we're up to 16 counties, but I think by the end of the week, um, uh, we'll, we will have added, I'm guessing four, maybe as many as eight more, um, Vinton County went yes. Vinton and Guernsey County went to the lab yesterday, uh, licking it in Morrow for sure. There's a couple other Central Ohio counties, and I talked to uh, our research tech, um, uh, Rob Legas in District Five, Southwest Ohio, and he said he had a, about a dozen deer going um, 
samples going to the lab uh, this week. So he's got a he's got a pile of them. But those are probably I'm guessing they'll be from some of those will, will be from the same county that we we documented it already. But we've got another little side project going on that I can explain if you if you're interested. But it's it's a pretty big year. Um, and I, you know, would like to mention Andrew because I think one of the questions that comes up, I think people sort of associate drought with, uh, you know, uh, enhanced HD outbreaks, and and that can be the case. It can exacerbate drought. You know, droughty conditions can lead to um, extended and and very extensive uh, mortality events. 2007 was a was a giant year. 2012 was also was also a big year. Um, and folks in Southwest Ohio, you know, one of the first things they're bringing up is, hey, you know, it's not been it's not been that uh, uh, that dry. We had a, a nice wet June. It's been a little warm in July. We've had some rain in August, so on and so forth. But um, actually, some work that's being done um, in West Virginia right now and other places have contributed to this research. But but what they're showing is that that, that actually that particular um, weather pattern, in other words, June, a wet June, for instance, and a very July, a very dry July and August um, really sets the stage because it's sort of like you know, given your business, it's it's um, it's like um, frost seeding. You know, you're 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 basically getting the ground ready to go. So in the case of these midges, all that rain is saturating what what you know the ground and, and getting the breeding habitat um, in a in a good spot. And then of course when it dries out. All those mud flats are exposed, and, and the larvae there have uh, you know been laid. They've survived. They've survived because of the weather conditions. Um, so, it uh, it may be you know that the um, uh, the, the rain in June um, and the dry weather that follows uh, could be a one-two punch. That you know it might be better off if we had a you know it, it didn't rain from February through you know through August rather than because I think it just it sort of sets the uh, uh, the tone, if you will. So there's a number of factors. I was telling someone the other day, I spent last week in West Virginia with um, probably one of the foremost authorities. Actually, two of them were there, uh, Dr. Mark Bruder and Dr. Sonia Christensen. Um, Mark uh, is the director at the Southeast Cooperative Wildlife Disease Study Lab. And he was, you know, I was picking his brain, of course, you know, at five o'clock, we're supposed to stop talking shop. But I, I uh, of course, very interested in this and lots of questions back home. So I was picking his brain and he explained there's just so much um, about hemorrhagic disease that we don't know. Um, and, and I guess in large part, it, it, it makes sense. There's not been a ton of research on it and in large part because um, while cattle can be impacted, it's typically they're, you know, they're asymptomatic, subclinical. Um, it doesn't affect livestock. So there's, there's not been a ton of work looking at that, like, for instance, other diseases like brucellosis and tuberculosis and high path AI and things that, you know, could affect livestock and, and the ag agricultural industry. So a lot of unanswered questions, like where are the midges in the winter? What, how is the virus overwintering? Is it coming up every year? Those questions, I have a, I have an email from 2008 I sent to uh, Dave Stalnick, um, and, and we still, some of those questions that I asked then still are, are unanswered um, with regard, and they're, they're just kind of fascinating things, but we, we just don't know, you know, it's not like you can put a radio transmitter on a midge. <laughs> and, uh, figure out where it's going and where it's been. Um, you know, no one has, no one has a clue how the virus survives the winter, you know, where it's, where it, what we do know is it's not passed from the, from the adult to the, to the larvae. Um, that doesn't happen. So these midges are hatching, uh, virus free. Um, they got to feed on a viremic deer and then feed on another deer and pass it. You know, that's essentially what's going on. Um, but anyway, 
um, I'll, I'll catch your breath and let you ask some questions. He so started to go down some of the paths of, of what I was thinking. Um, but just the, the basics and the stuff that we do know. So we're talking about a midge, which is a very small microscopic insect. I mean, I, I in my mind, I kind of, maybe they're not uh, that small, but I almost think of them like chiggers where you can't really see them, but you know, they're there. Yeah. They're noceums. I mean, we call them noceums for a reason. Yep. And that's just, can't see them. they're just a little bug that's going to vector this virus. They infect the deer and then the deer loses it. Right. So yeah. what are some of the uh, symptoms that people should be looking out for? Uh, it, whether it's on, tra- you know, the beauty of trail cameras and now I've been watching mine, uh, is to see like what, what the health looks like on some of these deer they're walking through. Yeah. But what are the, some of the Great. things people should be, should be looking for? Yeah. You know, probably the easiest and one of the most obvious is, is the deer is, you know, they've, uh, and, and this is what's really crazy because early on, you know, we had some significant outbreaks in 2002 and again in 2007, the, and maybe it was the trail cameras. I don't know what it was, the, the difference, Andrew, but I I distinctly remember, and of course I don't remember a lot from that long ago, but I distinctly remember it was rare, and that may have been part of the problem, but it, it, it was rare that we'd ever have someone talk about a, the deer behaving abnormally like they are now. I mean, that is like clock. I mean, it's so predictable right now. You get a call, a deer that's behaving abnormally, looks healthy, but just walking in circles, um, doing things that you would not expect a deer to do, 99% sure this time of year we're, we're dealing with hemorrhagic disease. And, and so that's, that's, that's one of the telltale signs is simply just looking like they've lost their mind. You know, the high fevers, um, the hemorrhaging, it, it's, it's taking its toll really quickly. And, and of course, they're, they, they simply um, begin behaving abnormally. So that would be number one. The other is just, you know, swelling around the, the head and neck, um, drooping ears, um, head hanging low, um, when you would expect it to be up and being alert. Um, I've seen some videos of deer dying and it's not pretty They're you know, they're, they're, um, convulsing. And so it's, it's kind of tough. I mean, and hence the name, and I, I don't even want the Z word, you know, they are walking around like they have no idea where they're at, you know, and running into things. Um, it's unfortunate, very unfortunate, but that that's that's probably the easiest thing, you know, for the uh, folks. They may start to drool. Um, I don't know what a depressed deer looks like, but certainly uh, exhibit signs of listlessness and lethargic. Um, behavioral changes are, are the most obvious. And then a lot of times they'll end up near water, right? That- yeah, and, and that's um, that that that's largely because they're going there. Um, you know, to, to cool themselves. And, and you know, think about it. Um, they're getting, <laughs> uh, the, the, the drought component is, is, is an interesting one. Um, and it, there are two factors at work there. Number one, um, uh, the, the drought creates uh, ideal breeding habitat for the midge, right? You think of, think of your classic farm pond that draws down in August, cows standing in there during the heat of the day up to their, you know, up to their bellies in mud, right? Um, I mean, that's just perfect. Uh, those exposed mud, exposed mud flats are just perfect breeding habitat for the midge. The other thing that's going on is because it's been so dry or in those years where it's so dry, um, a deer, deer typically are doing fine with, uh, they get enough moisture from the vegetation, right? But, but when, we're, when we're dealing with very, very dry conditions, oftentimes they'll go uh, to these limited water sources, right? And that's where they're, just so happens, that's where the midges are breeding in many cases. Um, so yes, yeah, so, so so they're getting it there and then they're going back there 
um, if, to make matters worse, if you will, they're going back, um, you know, to try and cool themselves because of the high fever. So there again, they're presenting uh, a midge that has not yet um, taken a blood meal because it, remember, it's the females that are feeding. Uh, the males aren't feeding. The females are feeding to, 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 to lay eggs. So they're back there at the watering hole after they've been infected to cool themselves and ultimately die most in most cases um, and serve as a as a source uh, sort of perpetuating, if you will, the, the entire process. And this is a, a disease that I, th- I don't know if you said it earlier. It cannot be spread from deer to deer. Is that correct? It has Absolutely. to go through that midge? Through the vector. Yep. It, okay. It's got to be. And, and the other thing that I'd learned the other day, which, you know, it's kind of fun learning all these these tidbits, but. One of the things that I just noticed on our website that I'm going to ask to take down is that um, um, because it's it's inaccurate. I don't, I don't know how I missed it early on, but it, it mentions that, you know, virus is pretty much incapacitated after 24 hours after the deer is dead. But certainly not the case at all. Um, this email from 2008 to uh, Dave Stolnick at the, at the uh, Southeast Cooperative Wildlife Disease Study Lab indicated that, and Mark confirmed that for me, a deer could be viremic um, for up to 50 days. In other words, could be infective if a, if a midge was to feed on it. Now, the chances, it, it's deteriorating every day. Of course, the virus, circulating virus load is, is going to is going to de- decline. Obviously, as soon as that deer dies, it's going to start going down. But point is, is that according to Dr. Reuter, um, it's very, very, very unlikely that a midge, an uninfected midge is going to feed on a dead deer. So, once that deer dies, it's out of the equation. Um, but yes, um, it's uh, it, it's 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 unlikely that that um, other than you know it you know deer. I think Mark said another deer would have to go up and take a take a chunk of deer out of that deer laying there in order in order for there to be deer to deer transmission. So we do need the vector, unlike CWD. And oh man, I just lost my question. Oh, so. Is there any, does it pose any risk to humans? No, okay. nope. That's uh, it's a disease of cervids, ruminants, I should say more specifically, more broadly ruminants. Uh, Cause obviously there's, you know, there's uh cattle or not cervids, but, but it, it is a disease of, of cattle um, and sheep. Um, I think perhaps even a, a goat or two, but it, as I said earlier on, um, it's not a, an issue for livestock, generally speaking. Um, but as far as humans go and, and, and companion animals, no, not, a, not an issue at all. If a deer survives the disease, um, uh, it, it's, it's going to be fine. That said, you probably don't want to butcher up the drooling uh, <laughs> ultra skinny deer that just wandered into your yard and laid down, right? So right, right. if somebody's out and we've got the opener up there in the DSA starting this weekend, um, if somebody's out, whether it's this weekend or a couple of weeks from now and the rest of the state and they see one uh, that doesn't, that's acting weird and it could be on a trail camera too, or anywhere. What, what should we be doing? Just calling you? Yeah, guys up. That'd be great. Absolutely. I'm glad you asked that because we we're, you know, we're, um, we're at the mercy of, of, of uh, the citizens, the hunters. Um, you know, we, we can test a handful of deer from every County uh, that we get, you know, that we have the opportunity. Unfortunately, many of the deer that we get to are already too far gone and, and they're difficult to test, but we rely heavily on reports from the field, from hunters and from homeowners and farmers and, and, and the like, uh, and encourage folks. Um, Cause otherwise we have no way of, you know, if, should we, should we need to make adjustments to harvest regulations, for instance, in some of our Southwest counties, if, if that, you know, uh, is a discussion point, 
for the 23 season. It's going to be based on what we what we hear uh, and see in the field. Obviously, our wildlife officers spend lots of time on the ground. Our staff is out there on the ground. But those reports from from hunters and landowners and homeowners, um, very, very helpful. Um, if you're not comfortable with the website, you know, give uh, 1-800-WILDLIFE a call. Call our district office. You know, get a hold of a county officer if you need to. Um, ideally, and we're, not, we're looking for, you know, numbers. We want to put a map together. You can go to our website. You can see the map, that, the wonderful map that Clint McCoy is, is, is working on uh, down to the township level. So give us as much detail and as many deer um, that, you, uh, that, that you've observed, either sick deer or dead deer. Um, obviously, if you've got a sick deer, let us know. We can, we can come out and get that tested. Every one of these deer, too, I should mention, Andrew, that we're testing, they're also being tested for chronic wasted disease. So we're, it's sort of a twofer, if you will. Um, so it's, uh, it's a great use of, it's a great use of staff time. Um, and I know that, uh, as I said, this is, uh, this could have a local impact. I, I don't anticipate it having a, you know, a, a broad geographic extent, but, but the footprint locally, you know, in some townships, some farms, um, you know, we, we, we adjusted harvest regulations back in 2016, I believe it was in 17 as a result of, or maybe it was 17 and 18 in, in Jefferson County, um, uh, to, to, you know, uh, compensate for what we knew were some significant uh, losses uh, across much of that county. So that's helpful from that regard. And obviously hunters recognize that if, if they're seeing lots of animals dead on their property, you know, they can make the adjustments without harvest regulations. So along those lines a little bit, and I'm, I, I can't, I don't even really want to bring this up because it's kind of like the super worst case scenario and I'll have a lot of free time this fall. But I think last year, if I recall, I think it was North Dakota had a pretty bad outbreak of, of this to the point where they, and I might be speaking out of turn, did they close their whitetail season or reduce the number of tags they allotted? Something along those lines. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, I, I don't rem- I don't recall. Um... I don't recall what state, but, but yeah, what you're saying is certainly uh, not out of the realm of possibilities. Um, but, but were you getting at that happening here in Ohio? Um, I hoping not, but yes, that's oh, yeah, yeah, what I was yeah. alluding to. Yeah. I, I would think more, you know, we've got room. Um, I think bag limit adjustments uh, would be more than sufficient. I can't see us you know, closing a county. Um, and again, um, I mean, if, if everything ended today, and that's maybe one thing we should we should touch on before we wrap up. If everything ended today, uh, I could see us not making probably making any adjustments. But but um, what we got going on is you know we we could be facing this until the first frost, which could be you know another six eight weeks. Um, so we've got because uh, that's the only thing that's going to stop this is the you know the, the midges. Of course, there is a cyclic nature. They're not going to keep breeding, you know, through February if, if temperatures stay above freezing. I don't imagine, but 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 certainly, uh, so things are will start to slow down naturally. But as as the um, um, the thing that's going to put an end to it uh, for sure is is the first frost, which will kill these midges. Um, so that's my point. Is it started? It started really early this year. You know, I sometimes think of Labor Day as the, you know, we think of it as the end of end of summer, and I think of it as the start of HD season. But it was three weeks before that this year, so it's it's going to be rather long. And yes, you read my mind. That was going to be my next uh, idea of how to how are we going to stop this. So, um, well, Mike, I think this is this is great. Um, I think it's a good quick rundown here of what's going on and what to look for. Uh, hopefully anybody listening will 
keep an eye out, uh, report stuff if they see it, and we will pray for that early frost to get things uh, headed in the right direction. Absolutely. So, well, as always, Tonk, we appreciate your time, and uh, we'll get you we'll get you lined up for a full full episode here before too long. But uh, let's get into the hunting season and see how things uh, shake out here. Yeah, that sounds great, and, and certainly uh, feel free to check back, uh, even if it's not just uh, you know just for an update on a number of counties. So, look forward to chatting with you again, Andrew. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Yep.